Well, good morning. Welcome to you. If it's your first time with us, you can see that when the pastor is asking people to be quiet, they don't want to listen. That's because we're friendly. Yeah? And we're family. And that's a good thing. So it's really great if you're with us for the first time. Just a reminder to you that you can stick around for tea and coffee afterwards. And at that point in time, we are joined by other people who turn up for our second meeting. That starts at 11.15. So it's a great opportunity to see people from across our church family. Um, My name is Barney. I lead the team here. And this term, we are going through a series on Hebrews. So if you've got a Bible, please turn to chapter 4 of Hebrews. Chapter 4 of Hebrews. I'm also aware, I was just mentioned a minute ago, that there is a wasp flying around. So if you're not looking at me, I totally understand. If, this, if it lands on me, we'll just ignore it, okay? Um, so that's, that's the second thing. So we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. Now, Hebrews is a book written to a group of Jewish Christians. And these Jewish Christians are thinking about or potentially concerned about whether or not they should stay in the Christian faith. And the writer to the Hebrews, who we don't know who it is, as I said before, is is saying to this group of Hebrew Christians, guys, don't give up on your faith, because faith in Jesus is better than anything else. So stick to it. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Stick to Jesus is basically what the whole thing is about. And the first four chapters really form an introduction to the whole book. Like, if we were going to imagine that the the book of Hebrews was a preach, because that's what some people think it was, it was almost like a homily, like an address that was written down, the first four chapters would act like an introduction, just like the introduction I'm giving you right now. And then we get to chapter four, and then the grand big theme in Hebrews, which is that Jesus is the high priest, starts to get spoken about. And I'm going to introduce that to you today. And then over the next few weeks, other people are going to be speaking from uh, different chapters of Hebrews 4 to 10. And they will keep coming back time and time again to the idea that Jesus is the great high priest. It's a really significant part of it. Now, we know that this is a, a section of this book because it has a start and an end to it. Okay, So if you actually want to look at all of Hebrews, you'll find that I'm going to re- be reading from um, Hebrews 4, uh, verses 14 to 16. But if you wanted to, wanted to go all the way to chapter 10... You'll find in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 20 to 25, that there's almost like a parallel in terms of what the text says there between that and what I'm about to read today. And those two kind of parallels act like, a, like bookends on a bookshelf, and, and they, they sandwich everything else in between. So anyway, without any further ado, let me read you chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God... Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet he is without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace, change your page, with boldness, so that we may receive mercy And find grace to help in times of need. So these verses talk about Jesus, the great high priest. And if we're going to understand that, we need to look at a little bit of some kind of concepts. And that's what I want to do today. I'm going to talk about these verses, but I, I want you to go away understanding what a high priest is. And why Jesus is not just a high priest, he's the great high priest. Okay. So if I can get that into your heads this morning, then I've achieved my goal for today. Right, but if we're going to understand that concept, first of all, we need to think a little bit about who God is. Because 
the, the whole need for a high priest is, is, uh, is in relation to understanding a little bit about God. And the problem is, is what we tend to do and what our culture has tend to done is, is it's tended to try and make God in its own image. So at the start of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, the, 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 it reads something along the lines of this. God makes humans, and, 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 and it says, let us make ma- man in our image. And then it says, male and female, he created them. So those two verses speak about the Godhead. Let us make man in our image, Father, Son, and Spirit. And, 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 and God makes humanity. And men and women were equal in the sight of God. But what we tend to do is we flipped it the other way around, and we now try and go, well, let us make God in our image. Let us try and form a God in our image. You know, it's really funny. I'm going to speak a little bit later on about Moses at Sinai. And while Moses is meeting God, the real God at Sinai, the people who are at the bottom making a God. They make a, a, a calf, a golden calf to worship. And so often we want to make a God in our own image. And our culture tries to make God who we want God to be rather than who God says that he is. And I think there's lots of different ways we can do that. But let me just give you three this morning. So one way that we can make a God in our own image, we can view God as being like we can view God sentimentally. So some of us will think that God is like an old granddad who's just happy all the time and he gives you what you want. That kind of classic image of Santa Claus on the side of the Coca-Cola buses. That's how we view God. Oh, he's just a happy old man in heaven. Maybe he's even going a bit senile, doesn't know what's going on in the world anymore, but doesn't really matter anyway. Yeah, that's how we can view God. Another way that we can view God, and I think this is predominantly a lot of how we we do this, even Christians we can do this, we can get involved in what's called syncretism. So we can have a a syncretistic view of God. And what we do is we we take our um, background or our upbringing, our culture, and we merge it together with what we find in the Bible. So we take our kind of background, maybe that's uh, from our heritage, maybe we're from a different country and we take our kind of our our understanding of God in that culture and we bring it to the Bible and we read the Bible in that way. Uh, Maybe as as Christians, uh, you know, in in the UK today, we listen to what our culture says about God. And we then when we come to the Bible, we we place that with the God that we see in the Bible and we create this kind of uh, hybrid version of God. And that isn't actually who God is, but it's what we try and make him to be. Or, and this is the prevailing view in our culture now, that it doesn't matter what your view of God is or my view of God is, because at the end of the day, we're all going to the same place. It's all fine. So it doesn't matter what you believe about God or what I believe about God. That's called relativism. Okay? Because we can all accept that it doesn't matter. We can have a plurality of beliefs, but we'll all get there in the end anyway. Yeah, you will have heard that, you will have seen that. That's what happens in our culture all the time. That's how people talk about God. But then when you get to the Bible, you find it's very, very different. The God of the Bible isn't presented like any of those things at all. Um, the, the theologian, German theologian, Hermann Bavink, I love saying his name, um, he said this, when you get to the Bible, even the slightest notion concerning him, so any, any place you find Jesus, or God, sorry, in the Bible, represents him as being exalted infinitely above everything else. So when you find God represented in the Bible, you go, oh my goodness, this God seems completely different from like a happy old grandpa on the back of a, back of a Coca-Cola lorry or anything like that. He's just different. And why is he different? Let me give you a few examples then of, of that, of what he said. Well, look, in Exodus, we find that humans can't see God and live. Humans can't see God and live. God is without form, we find in Deuteronomy. 
He is unpicturable. So every image you have of God in the Bible, whether that's Revelation, Daniel, anywhere else you see the image of God, it's, it's, it's a human trying to interpret what they can see. But he's unpicturable. It's like he's incomprehensible. He dwells in mystery. So I, I mentioned earlier on, we have, have Moses at um, Sinai. And when Moses meets God at Sinai, a cloud descends upon the mountain. And then when Elijah meets God in 1 Kings 18, and he's hiding in a cave, and he comes out of the cave. And where is God? God um, comes in a storm with thick clouds, and then he speaks in the midst of silence. Elijah hears God. God comes in mystery. There's a mysterious element about God, and that takes, goes into the New Testament as well. And you'll find John talking about God is clothed in inapproachable light. There's a mystery surrounding God. He's mysterious. We also find in the Bible that although God created a world that changed and that is subject to flux and change, he himself does not change. In fact, we'll find this later on in Hebrews. There's the, the line, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. He's not a man that he should change his mind. God doesn't change. And he's exalted, therefore, above all things. So this is what God is actually like. It's not, he's not any of the things I said earlier on. God is like the picture that I've just given you. And in some ways, so incomprehensible that I could talk about it all day, and I wouldn't quite hit the nail on the head, because that's what God is like. And yet, at the same time, this God, who is incomprehensible to us, created us for relationship. Created us for relationship. So I spoke earlier on about um, God creating Adam and Eve. Well, when he created Adam and Eve, we find that in, in the biblical story of Genesis, um, it, it, between chapters 1 and 3, God is walking in the Garden of Eden with the people that he's created. So they're able to have relationship with this incomprehensible God. They're able to have relationship with him. And they walk with him in the Garden. And there's a moment, though, that they decide that they want to be like God. Just the same thing that we do. We want to be like God. We want to make a God in our own image. And so they decide that they're going to do the one thing that God's told them not to do, is eat from the, knowledge, eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The idea that, that, that this, this, this tree gives them the ability to have knowledge like God has. And at that moment, we, we find Paul says in Romans 5, Sin enters the world. Sin enters the world. What is sin? Sin is anything that, that is against what God has said. So sin enters the world at that moment. And because sin enters the world, there's a punishment for sin. The same way that if you went and stole from a bank, there'd be a punishment for it. In, in, in the biblical image of sin, the idea of sin, when you do something wrongdoing against God, the punishment for that sin is death. And so Paul, again, writes in Romans 5 that death enters the world through one man, through Adam. And now, not, not, not able to walk with God, Adam and Eve are cast out of God's presence. And there's two things that are now happening. So you've got God who's over here, and you've got Adam and Eve who are over here. Humanity is over here. And we all, like Adam and Eve, have sinned. We all do things where we want to set ourselves up as God, be like God, or rebel against God. That's what sin is. And so there's separation between us and God's. God is completely separate from us. God is over here and we're over here. And there's not, there's, there's, there's not just, this is a little bit like, do you remember the, the bridge to life? You, some of you remember what I'm talking about, yeah? There's a gap in between us and God. 
There's a gap in between us and God. And, and we can't cross that gap back, back to God at all. There's no way we can do that. See, the thing about God is, is there's a word in the, the Old Testament for it, and it's holy. You'll have seen the word holy in your Bible. In fact, we've probably sung it a few times this morning. The word holy in, in, in Hebrew is kadosh, and kadosh means to be set apart. God is set apart from us. He can't come into contact with us because we are in sin and he is perfect. And any sin in his presence will defile his perfection. So there's a separation. But God wants relationship. So what does he do? This is where the high priest thing comes in. I got there eventually. In the Old Testament, God makes a way for the people to be able to have a relationship with him. And he does it through an intermediary, a high priest. And this high priest, so God says to the, the Israelites who he wants relationship with, look, I'm going to come and dwell with you. I'm going to be your God and you'll be my people. But you know you can't come into my presence because if you, t- if you see me, you'll die. So I'll dwell, in a, in, I'll dwell in, a pl- in a tent and then, then turn it into the temple, okay, the Davidic temple in, in Jerusalem. But um, God dwells in the Holy of Holies. And once a year, one representative from all of humanity can come into this temple. And they don't, they're not allowed just to come into this temple. They have to wash themselves, clean themselves, make sure that they are pure, make sure that they've um, cleaned themselves entirely, and also that they've made a sacrifice for their own sin. But then what they're to do is they're to bring the blood of a, 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 a lamb. And this lamb needs to be perfect. It needs to have no blemish on it. It needs to not be ill in any way. It needs to be completely perfect. And they're to bring the blood of this lamb into the presence of God. This sounds a bit daft, doesn't it? What's, what's, a blood, what's the lamb, a lamb's blood ever going to do? Well, this, this lamb is blood, is perfect lamb's blood, is representative of the sin of the people. It's symbolic of the sin of the people. Remember I said that the, 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 the punishment for sin is death. So the lamb is killed on behalf of the people. So rather than the people experience death as a result of their sin, the lamb is killed. Poor little lamb. Some of you thinking, oh, that sounds really mean, that poor lamb. Some of you thinking, that sounds good with some mint sauce. Yeah? Poor lamb. And so the high priest would come into the presence of God. But before they went in, I learned this this week, they would fill the temple with incense. You remember God appears in a cloud? You can't see God. Why? Because he's so holy. If the high priest even saw him in that way, the high priest would die. So the high priest takes the blood in, and for that year, this was called a day, the Day of Atonement. For that year, the, the sin of the people would be made atonement for. They would be at one with God, atonement. But then we have Jesus. Jesus steps into creation, and this is what the writer to the Hebrews starts talking about. Jesus comes, and he um, is, is God. It says it in those, the verses we read, Jesus, the Son of God, he comes as a man. So he steps into creation. He takes on humanity. So the perfect God, the, the one who is set apart, who is utterly perfect and utterly holy, steps into creation as a man. And he lives a perfect life. Just like the, lamb, the lamb's life will be perfect, Jesus Christ's life is perfect. And Jesus then becomes the substitutionary sacrifice for you and I. He dies on the cross so that you and I can know God. We can have relationship with God. Jesus becomes that sacrifice. And Jesus carries that sacrifice, not that somebody else has made, but he himself has made, back into God. Now we have, writes the writer to the Hebrews, a glorified man in heaven. Richard, Richard always says, you know, 
There's a man in the heavens, he says, doesn't he? It's his favorite line at the moment, but it's true. There's a man in the heavens. Jesus Christ has taken our humanity into heaven. And he's not only just taken our humanity into heaven, he's opened the door for us to be able to come with him into the glory. That, the, 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 the idea that God was separate from man is no, no, no longer there anymore. It's no longer there. And there's also something else that's happened as well. It's not just that God has got, humanity has become part of the Godhead in the, in the person of Christ. But also that as Jesus ascends to heaven, he does something else. He sends God, the Holy Spirit, to come into humanity. So Jesus is part of the Godhead, fully man, fully God. We have a man in heaven, a great high priest in heaven. And that high priest is ever interceding for us. That means praying for us. It says this in Hebrews 7. But also God has sent himself to come and dwell with us in the form of his spirit. So we have humanity dwelling with God and God dwelling in humanity. Can you see that? So it's not just that... that, that there's still, still the divide because God is God. But now we can know God. Now we can have relationship with God. Now we can come into his presence. And what's the writer to the Hebrews saying? You've got a high priest who understands you. You've got somebody in the heavens who represents you, who understands how you feel. But for many of us, for many of us here, even as Christians, we sometimes think that God doesn't care. We try and do it on our own. We try and live life on our own. We try and think that, well, I'll just get by on my own. And, 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 so, and some of us get angry at God. God, where were you when X, Y, or Z happened to me? You don't, God, you don't care about me at all. You, you just don't care. And so we turn our backs on God. We turn away from him. And then we have Jesus who is in the heavens, even right now, and he's saying, I'm able to fully understand you. I walked the road of suffering. I was rejected by people. I watched my friends die around me. I understand what you're going through. This is what the writer to the Hebrews is saying here. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us. But he's also able to sympathize with our weakness. He says, because Jesus was tempted in every way, yet is without sin. Now, that is true. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet is without sin. We see it when the devil tries to tempt Jesus, and Jesus doesn't enter into it. The writer to the Hebrews, I think, is writing about a specific sin here. It's the sin of walking away from God. Jesus didn't walk away from God. So when Jesus walked through life, he lived a perfect life. He didn't choose to err away from God's ways. But also, at that moment, when Jesus could have walked away... From suffering for you and I, he chose to go through with it. I spoke about this a few weeks ago. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, I mentioned this before as well. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's asking the Father, God, if it's your will, would you take this cup away from me? But no, I know that I need to go through with this. See, if Jesus had turned away then and gone after his own thing, I think that's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying here. He's saying, look, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus sticks at it so that you know there's a man in the heavens who's stuck at it for you. So, so stick at your faith, Hebrews. Stick at your faith. And so for some of us today, as I close, the, the, the thing is this, as we read these verses, because there's an application for them in the time that they were written, and also there's an application for them for us today. 
Are you living in a way that demonstrates you understand that the door is open to you? Are you living like that? Are you actually living in a way that, because that, God has opened up the very door to you in the heavens that you might be able to have a relationship with him. Are you living in the good of that relationship? Jesus says that um, if, you, if you come to him, you will know, you'll know freedom from your burdens. Jesus says that he's come that we might have life and life in all its fullness. You'll only know life and life in all its fullness if you choose to abide with God in the life of God. Because you can have a knowledge that Jesus is the high priest, but not allow him to be your high priest. You can have a knowledge that Jesus is in the heavens and that the Holy Spirit is in his people, but not actually choose to enter into that relationship. And you carry on then trying to do life on your own or do life in your own way. You can have a knowledge of it. We're called to have more than just a knowledge of God. We're called to have a relationship with him. And the door is completely open to us because of the blood of the lamb shed for you and I. And we can have a relationship with him. So my challenge to you, I suppose, this week, I suppose my urgent plea to you for some of you, is that you choose to enter into the good of that relationship. Because you can build your whole life on the foundation of Jesus. He's trustworthy. He's the, the precious cornerstone, the, the one that everybody else, the, the builders rejected, who's now the cornerstone. You can build your whole life on Jesus. And, and the door is open to you. And it's not just that, it's not just that the door is open to you. It, the, the person behind the door totally understands you, loves you, cares for you, wants a relationship with you, knows what's good for you, knows what's, what's going to please you. He understands you better than you understand yourself. You see, the God of our culture isn't the God of the Bible. And, and Jesus is the great high priest. And you just need to start walking into the good and the benefit of that in your life. And I just that's the, my real challenge to some of you this morning. Um, I felt it was really appropriate speaking on this topic today that a response to this could be that we share communion together this morning. And so we're going to do that in a minute. Um, we're going to sing a song before the... We are going to sing this, aren't we, Andy? <laughs> before the throne of God above. Before the throne of God above, you have a perfect... Can we put the words up? Because I can't remember them. I was about to say them, and now I can't remember them. You just put... You have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for you. Your name is written on his hands. Your name is written on his heart. I know that whilst in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. That's what we're going to sing now together, and then we're going to take up communion together. Okay, so if you want to stand and sing this with me, that'd be great. I'll move your mic. <laughs> Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and Written on his heart 
hands. No sun can bid me thence depart. No sun can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the the great high priest. Paul writes this to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you can proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we'll do that now. You can do that. I hear some people doing it already. You crack on and do that. That's fine. Just be careful it doesn't spray on you. I accidentally sat on one of these once. Got a very wet bum. (laughs) We do this in remembrance of Jesus. We remember his sacrifice. But we also remember that he's victorious. We remember that he's our great high priest. That's why we do it. So we do that now. Andy, could we maybe just close and sing a couple of... Can we sing the last verse of this again? Is that all right? Thank you very much. 
Father, we thank you that whilst there was separation because of our imperfection and your perfection, and Jesus, we thank you that you came into the world living a life that we couldn't live, dying a death that we deserve to die. And now, Jesus, that you've risen and you are victorious. And we thank you that you're in the heavens, ever interceding for us, our great high priest. And Jesus, we pray today, I pray for anybody here who just needs to walk into the goodness of that. Lord, I pray if they've taken communion this morning, God, that they just be again realigning themselves with the, the truth, the truth that you're the high priest, the truth that they can know you today. And I pray, Jesus, as they do that, that you would fill them with your spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the very presence of God dwelling in us. And so we pray, fill us with your spirit again this week, that we might walk in all of the good of Jesus, our high priest. Amen. Amen. Oh, 